Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the highlight of human civilization and possibly a few alien civilizations that we have not yet met. If you'd like this experience to go up to levels that nobody could even explain with human language, AI, or even math, all you need is a cup or mug or a glass, a tank or chalice or stein, a canteen jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid I like, coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure of the dopamine of the day. The thing makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip. It happens now. Go. Good stuff. Well, I've got a theme for today that I hope you'll like. Sometimes when I'm watching the news, I'll be writing down my little notes for the show, and I'll be looking at them, and I'll say to myself, huh, I feel like there's a theme that's emerging sort of organically. Like I didn't have to try to look for it. It was just sort of there. Here's the theme. Suddenly... Everything looks positive. That's the theme. Now, I know what you're going to say. You're saying, Scott, the whole world is freaking falling apart right in front of you. Have you not noticed there are two wars going on? We're spending ourselves crazy. The division is terrible. The anti-Semitism has reached peak places. The Palestinians are going crazy. And Yes. Yes, I do see every bit of that. Every bit of it. And it's just as bad as you think. It's also, we're right in the middle of the darkest before the dawn. Let me tell you why, over the course of the next hour. I woke up today realizing this is the first time I felt optimistic in a long time. Because I have to admit, it did look like everything was trending wrong. But I'm going to cheer you up a little bit today. Is anybody up for a little uh, positivity? Are you, are you tired of that regular news that's doom and gloom? How about a little positivity today? All right, good. Here's just a cool story just to scare you a little bit, but did you know that uh, if you took uh, a room that had Wi-Fi in it and also human beings walking around in that room and then you let AI um, study the visual you know, by video of the people walking around, but also you give it all the information about the Wi-Fi bouncing around, that it can actually learn to identify the shape of a human in the room so that later when you take the video away, the Wi-Fi can recreate humans walking around inside a room that you're not in. It just has to have access to the Wi-Fi, and it can reproduce them just like stick figures walking around with arms and legs. So basically, wherever there are signals bouncing around and also humans, they can be identified from a distance already. Current technology. It's been tested and works. Now, what's that do for law enforcement, you ask? Well, I can imagine it would do a lot... Um, but there's a privacy issue, of course. Um, So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, As of this morning, I had over 3 million views on my post on X. 
in which I explained what I call the Bill Maher mystery, which is how can he be so smart and well-informed and have such wrong opinions about Trump? Because I used to think it was just, I don't know, personally didn't like him, and that was, or maybe just, uh, maybe just um, trying to satisfy his audience. But none of those things really added up, because he's not the guy who just says what his audience wants to hear. He's just not. I mean, he has a very long history of saying things that he knows the audience isn't going to like, and he even calls it out when he's saying it. So he's not doing it just to make them happy. I'm pretty sure of that. So my speculation was, and I showed three examples in the post, I won't go over it again, of three things that his news sources clearly never told him that would completely change how you saw the situation. And it's things that people who use the X platform, people who follow the news on both the left and the right, have known forever. Just really basic stuff. And so I got three million views on that, which suggests that he had, a, he had some kind of a... Uh, you know, accord. Now, somebody asked me on X, they said, uh, Scott, why don't you deprogram Bill Maher? Do you know what my answer is? I just did. With, with three million views, there's almost zero chance that it won't come to his attention. Would you agree? I mean, I, don't, I believe he doesn't use the X platform himself. He probably has staff tweeting stuff. So, and I know, so I know he doesn't follow me on X or, or follow me in any normal way. But if you get three million hits on something that nobody considered crazy, right? Nobody, nobody said it was crazy. It, I very clearly said these are things that you've been told. This is what people who see more of the news see. That's all. Nothing really you could even argue about. So I believe that that's going to have the effect that I hoped, which is that he's going to say to himself some version of, am I not seeing the whole story here? That's reprogramming. If I can simply put into his head that he's not seeing the whole, the whole information, we're done. Do you, I, was, I was trying to imagine what would happen if I were to talk to him on Club Random, you know, one-on-one about his Trump derangement syndrome or anything else in politics. And one of the weird things I came to believe is that he and I have enough of a similarity in uh, age and background and demographics. You know, I almost went to the college he went to, upstate New York, blah, blah, blah. That in every situation where Bill Maher and I have the same information... We have the same opinion. <laughs> I realized that yesterday. In every case, every case I can think of, and I've been watching him for many years, in every case I can think of, when he had access to the same information that I have, we're, we have the same opinion. Does that sound true? I mean, if you, have a, if you could come up with any counterfactual on that, it would be interesting. But I don't think I've seen an example Every time that I've ever disagreed with them, I'm saying something in my mind like, but why aren't you considering this variable? And it's usually just a missing variable. So I wonder if he will come to the same uh, impression. And here's what I think. You know, I've heard him say on one of his programs that he has a limited, by choice, he limits his 
uh, exposure to where he gets his news. So he's not trying to scan all the sources because I imagine he would say that th- those other sources are fake news. So he's sticking with you know New York Times and some, some basic reporting entities that he thinks he trusts. But I, I feel like that's a, a 40 years ago, ago strategy. I mean, back when we had this idea that there were a few trusted sources, and if you stuck with the trusted sources, you were in good shape, and you were in better shape than all the poor, unwashed you know, bastards who were looking at the wrong news. And now it's completely reversed. Um, well, not completely. I don't mean that the bad sources became good sources, nothing like that. I mean that if you don't look at both the bad sources, the bad sources in quotes, because, you know, my bad source is your good source, which is the whole point. Even if you don't like the other person's source, you got to look at it. <laughs> you just got to look at it. Because both sides leave out stuff that's inconvenient to their narrative. So it's not that necessarily they're just telling lies, although there's that too, but they're just leaving out major variables that would completely change your opinion. So if you don't see both sides, you don't at least get alerted to something you should try to find out if it's real or not. So even the, you know, the entities which the left would say, those are all fake news, they all have stuff that's context that you could kind of check out on your own. Wait, let's Google this. Is this context true or not? And if you're not exposed to the context, you just don't know what's going on. You really don't. So I think that's the only thing I would want to accomplish is that Bill broaden his uh, net of news acquisition. And then I think he and I would end up on the same page, minus, you know, you might hate Trump for personal reasons, which would be, you know, different. Um, how many of you have seen videos of people stuffing drop boxes? Yes or no? Have you ever seen a video of somebody allegedly stuffing an election drop box? Probably everybody uses X. All right? Now, in how many of those videos did the video showing somebody stuffing an election box, how many of them told you whether that was legal or illegal in that state? I haven't seen one of those yet. I've only seen the video of somebody stuffing a box. The, the one I saw today you know, was allegedly a, a gotcha on CNN because <laughs> it was a CNN reporter standing in front of the, the only drop box and wherever they were. And as he was standing there on one side of the drop box, the video is showing a citizen pulling up and stuffing a whole bunch of ballots into it. And then the, the video was, uh, you know, obviously it's a, the box is being rigged and stuffed right in front of the CNN guy and he doesn't even notice but did you know that half of the states allow you to do that? Half of them allow you. And they have various flavors. Some of them allow you to you know, take, take your relatives or your friends or something. Some have no rules. Some say it has to be you know, a close relative or something like that. But they have various rules. So all I'm, all I'm trying to say is, if you see a video of somebody allegedly stuffing a box, and it doesn't tell you what the rules are for that box, you don't know anything. Is that fair? If you do your own research and learn that it's a state with a certain set of rules, you might have a, a useful opinion. But don't just, 
don't just look at somebody putting more than one ballot in a box and believe you learned something. Now, just to be clear, I do not believe that all of the drop boxes are a pristine system. <laughs> the odds of somebody dropping a bad ballot in a drop box are really, really high, like 100%. You know, that at least one bad ballot got into one drop box somewhere. Probably 100%. But, you know, did it make enough of a difference to move the election? Well, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, apparently that's the allegation. But we don't know the prevalence of it. All right. Uh, reports are that gun sales in the U.S. are way up for Jewish Americans. And that's no surprise. Remember, remember I told you that there was a theme that everything was headed in the right direction? Well, I think there's this gigantic wake-up call for Jewish Americans to find out that the team they thought they were on likes them less than the team that they thought they were opposed to. A lot less. Now, you can say to yourself, but Scott, what about those marchers in Charlottesville? What about the KKK? To which I say, oh, you mean like BLM and Antifa? And the pro-Palestinian, pro, well, pro-Hamas marchers, I'll say. Let's say pro-Hamas. Um, uh, to me, they're all the same people. They're just a bunch of racists. So I think, what, I think where we're wrong is that we keep being told that there's a left and a right. There's not. There's a top and a bottom. Politics do not go in a smooth line from the left to the right like a line with two points. It is a circle. It's a circle. All the normal people from the left and the right are at the top. These are the people who are so normal that they can have a dinner party with each other and not want to stab each other. They're just normal people. (laughs) Normal Democrats, normal Republicans, normal independents. All there at the top. They take the circle around to each side to the bottom, and you get you know Black Lives Matter racists and Antifa racists and you know the anti-Jewish racists. Basically, all the racists are at the bottom. So if you can make just one mental change, see it as a circle, not a line, everything makes sense. Have I told you a million times that your brain is a visual engine? Whatever you visualize is what is your truth, even if it's not true. If if you see it, if you see one reality, but you you don't have an image of the other reality, the one you see is the one you're going to say is real. So every time somebody says left and right, your brain draws a picture of a straight line, and now you think the people on the left are fundamentally different from the people on the right. And they are. They are fundamentally different but not in ways that you give a shit about. In the ways that matter, they're just a bunch of racists at the bottom. At the top, normal people. At the bottom, a bunch of racists. We're going to find something to be racist about. If you you solved all their problems tomorrow, they'd just find something else to bitch about. So let us stop saying it's left and right. It's top and bottom. You You could be at the top or you could be at the bottom. I'd like to be at the top with all the good Democrats and good Republicans and good independents who are not racist in any meaningful way. All right. So here's the good news. I believe that this wake-up call 
where the Jewish Americans are starting to say, holy cow, the people we thought were our allies see us as white colonizers, not just in America, but in Israel. Like, if the, the, the American Jews are waking up to being called not just colonizers, but double colonizers. Like, colonizing Israel and colonizing America. Double colonizers. And you know that's going to change some political opinions. So I would imagine that the Jewish-American appreciation of Trump and of the normal Republicans, the ones at the top of the circle, not, not the ones at the bottom, uh, I think they're going to appreciate that there are a lot of people on their side that they didn't know were on their side. All right. Um, and if any of those Jewish Americans buying guns would like some uh, instructions on how to use them properly, I recommend a Republican. Do you think they'll be happy to help you? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. If there's any Jewish American who wants to know how to use a gun for self-protection in America, ask your Republican neighbor. They'll drop everything. Seriously. They will change their plans to show you how to use that weapon. I guarantee it. All right. Let's talk about military aid to Israel. I'm, um, I'm completely pro-Israel in this yeah, Hamas situation. So starting with what my bias is, and I've told you before, I'm going to maintain my bias. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about you know, this later and with a discussion of you know, journalism and activism, but I'm telling you I'm biased. That's as honest as I can get. I can't get more honest than telling you I plan to be biased on this one topic. You know, we're probably all biased on everything, but at least at least I'm going to give you full transparency, right? Um, the the Zionist part I I'm just not engaged with really. <laughs> I, uh, my my view of history and territory is that whoever can protect the territory owns it. That's just the way it's always been. Do I think that people in the past did bad things? Probably. Does it matter to anything today? Not to me. I understand it does matter to other people. But don't, don't act like I'm going to be convinced that history should change my mind about anything. No. Today, there was a massive terrorist attack, and Israel is acting exactly like human beings act in that situation. So what am I going to, you know, what would be my criticism? Stop acting like human beings act whenever this situation happens. So, yes, it will be tragic what happens, but it's going to happen anyway, no matter what my opinion is. So here's the question on military aid to Israel. My question was, um, why does America pay for Israel's military stuff? because we're doing it with debt. We don't have the money. We'd borrow the money for everything, basically. Um, and, and I asked, is Israel, do they have a worse debt situation than America? Maybe they do. I mean, if they did, then you'd understand, oh, you don't want to push Israel to bankruptcy. That's not going to help their security. So that would be a good reason. But I don't think that's the case. I think they probably could have gotten credit for some extra weapons and still buy them from America. 
Now, what are the reasons given uh, why military aid to Israel makes sense for America is not just that they're our ally and we want them to win, because in, in any case, they would either buy it or we would pay for it, but they'd still have the weapons, I think. I mean, that's something that has to be checked. But uh, one argument was that if we give the military aid to Israel, Israel uh, will you know, refine and test our weapons, which is good for us, good testing ground, um, but also that will give America influence over uh, Israel's decisions. To which I say, mm, is that the best reason? Is the best reason that it would give America influence over Israel? Because I wonder, does that, does that philosophy work in all situations? Should we also give away our weapons to Saudi Arabia? Or do we make them pay for them? Because wouldn't we want to have influence over Saudi Arabia? I think we do. I mean, in some military sense, we probably do. And, and, and what if we take it to the uh, illogical extreme? Why don't we give weapons to Hamas so that we would have control over them and then we tell them not to attack anybody? Okay, that was just stupid. I just was testing. Just testing. No, it's just that it sounds like, like a college essay answer that, yeah, I get it. It would, give, it would definitely give the United States some, a little extra leverage over Israel. But here's the other question. Do we really need that? Do we need that extra anything? I mean, what, what is Israel going to do that is so bad for America's um, well-being? What, was Israel going to act in a way that was bad for America? I mean, do they do that on some regular basis, and the only way we can keep them from you know, acting like an enemy and joining up with North Korea or something? I, I mean, what exactly are we worried about? What, what kind of behavior would we see that was somehow unfriendly to American interests? <clears throat> so I'm just going to put it as an open question. There might actually be a good reason, um, but I don't know if influence is enough. To me, it looks like, and here's the second part of the good news. How many of you predicted that Hamas would end the war in Ukraine? Did anybody predict that? Like a year ago, did you say to yourself, you know, I think the way this Ukraine war is going to go is uh, Hamas is going to end it. But it's starting to look a lot like that's going to happen because the American brain can't handle two wars. One is a big problem. Two isn't just out of the question. Would you agree? You know, you, you can shove one war down our fucking throats and we'll choke on it because we got other things we're worrying about. But by the time you shove the second war down our throats, this is when Americans start to choke. And they're like, oh, 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 wait, hold on. That is one war too many. Now, the reporting has already begun that Ukraine is like in a desperate situation. Now, instead of making steady gains, the reporting is, well, not really gaining anything. Uh, they're running out of people. Uh, funding might dry up because of you know, other priorities. You know, we've got a new favorite war, so it's losing favor. Uh, now you're hearing about 
uh, stories about massive corruption in Ukraine. So the, the tone of the reporting has completely changed. So here's your first good news. There's a 100% chance that Ukraine war will get negotiated in the next year. Do you know why? Well, part of, you know, part of it is the, the war in the Middle East. Part of it is they aren't succeeding. You know, you can give 10 reasons. But uh, the biggest reason, in my opinion, is that it's an election year. There's no way that Biden can go into the election with this war, with two hot wars, or, or even Ukraine still going, even if even if the other wars wound down. So it seems to me that Biden went from uh, needing Ukraine for whatever corrupt reasons, which, by the way, I assume corruption in the case of Biden and any Ukraine policy. I don't know it. I don't have factual, but all of the observable behavior suggests corruption is a big variable. Not the only one, but a big one. Some kind of, yeah, some kind of kickbacks, something like that. Don't know. It, it all looks sketchy. But I think, I think uh, Biden can't have that war going on on Election Day, so he's going to have to wind it down, because the one thing you know for sure is that Trump would have a better shot at settling it. Do we all agree with that? Do you, do you believe, as I do, that Trump would be the better negotiator for this specific situation? Yeah, that's what I think. So I think Biden would know that too, or at least he wouldn't take the chance that Trump can say the day... Be- Imagine Trump saying the day before the election, I could get this settled in a week. <laughs> it's going to be hard for people to imagine he can't. Hard to imagine he can't. Um, Trump is currently leading in five out of six swing states, and by enough that it would be very, very difficult for anybody who thought about cheating to cheat enough that it would make the difference. So we're heading toward the potential worst-case scenario, which is that Trump is leading in all the important polls, but what if he loses? What if he's leading on election day by just really solid, you know, like four point, you know, difference? That'd probably be enough, four points. And then suppose he lost, like really close. I don't know if the system could handle that. Honestly, don't know if we could handle that. Uh, that, that might make J six look like a, a tea party so to speak. Bad choice of words. Um, But it might happen, and certainly if you straight-lined it, it's heading that way. But if there's anything I could teach you, it's that things never go in a straight line. So if you straight-line it, that's what it looks like. It probably won't happen, because it's too obvious. Um, Do you know the the situation about uh, Trump's legal jeopardy with the, the... two different uh, valuations for his property. So one was a low valuation. I think he would use it for property tax purposes. But in another context, he put a high valuation on it, and I think that was for bankers. And I saw a journalist explaining that, and I want to give my take on that. Now, this might be a situation why journalists are really bad at journalism, 
if they don't have a background in business and in the real world. So that's what I felt. I won't call out the journalists in this case, but it was just a thread on X. And it was explained this way, that there are covenants that restrict what you can do with the Mar-a-Lago property. So the covenants restrict it to pretty much the way it's being operated, I guess, as some kind of a club. Um, so for property, for property tax purposes, that's the maximum that that property is worth is whatever you can do under the umbrella of the covenants. So it would be completely practical, completely legal, completely appropriate for Trump to consider the covenants when he does his property tax assessment, or his lawyers do, or his, you know, or his accountants. Everybody with me so far? If the covenant restricts its upper, upper value, because you can't turn it into condos, you can't build high-rises, you, you can't put a hotel there, right? then that's the value. It's suppressed. And it might even be you know, closer to that 18 million. I mean, that's a ridiculous number. But it might be closer to that range if there's nothing else you can do with it. But in a hypothetical situation where the covenants were removed, then you've got some of the most valuable real estate in the whole world that you could do any, any number of things that would be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So if Trump were talking to his bankers, might it sound like this? I mean, I'm making this up, but might it sound like this? And I'll, I'll give you the, you know, the pretend version. Hey, banker, um, I value this at a few hundred million dollars. And the reason is that if I needed to, I could get those covenants uh, changed. Well, how would you do that? Well, first of all, that's basic business for a real estate developer. Getting zoning re- changed, getting covenants removed, that's sort of what I do for a living. By the way, how many of you knew that? How many of you knew that a big real estate developer, for a living, they get zoning reassessed, they negotiate with the, uh, the city to make sure the city is happy, but also so is the developer, because cities like developers to succeed. So they're always negotiating. So imagine Trump said to his banker, um, under the current covenant, you know, it's, it's worth less, but um, here's how I would negotiate that away, which tells you what the real value is. I would go to them and say, do you need $10 million for a new park? I'll give you $10 million for a new park, and I'll agree that whatever I do under a new covenant would not be disruptive to the community. So I'll, we're, we're going to reassess what the covenant does, but I won't, uh, let's say I won't increase traffic, and maybe that's a concern. So you just say, what was it that is your concern? Is your concern that it's a historic building? Well, I agree that I won't change the architecture. Something like that. So if the greatest salesperson in the world, literally the most persuasive person America has ever seen, Trump, if he couldn't sell the city on a covenant change, I don't know who could, because it's partly bribery, legal, legal. But the bribery is, hey, city that has these covenants that I already agreed to, is there something you want more than you want these covenants? Yeah, it could be environmental, exactly. He, he could fund uh, climate change, 
project. He could, he could fund putting in solar panels. Uh, in, in the hilarious version, he would buy them some windmills. <laughs> that would be the funny version, but not, not realistically. Yeah, or low-income housing, right. Trump could say, if you let me change these covenants, I will build you 5,000 low-income dwellings. I won't own them because that doesn't go with my brand, but, you know, I'll fund them or something like that. So uh, watch your news sources and ask yourself how many of them just described what I did, which is what is the normal job of a big-time real estate developer? They probably won't, probably won't be able to explain it like I did. So I don't think that Trump has any legal jeopardy unless, you know, at least ultimately. I mean, I think, I think the juries might be all rigged for, with Trump haters, so he might get convicted or something. But I don't think anything would stand up to an upper court review. That's what it looks like <clears throat> to me. Um, but in any case, he would probably still get elected, and for those things which are not state charges, he'd probably get uh, pardoned. Imagine this scenario, hypothetically. Imagine if Trump got jailed and also won the election, but he couldn't pardon himself because the jailable offense was a state issue. What would that, what kind of pressure would that put on the governor of that state, Democrat or Republican? How could, the, how could it, even a Democrat governor keep him in jail after he'd been elected president? Do you think they could do it? Supremacy clause. Hmm. I don't know what a supremacy clause is, but it sounds like there might be some legal precedent here. Move the White House to Georgia. <laughs> I don't think that works. doesn't apply. Okay, the supremacy clause doesn't apply. Yeah, because there's no two laws. The supremacy clause is if there's a conflict, the federal law applies over the state, right? Is that what that is? Yes? So there's no federal law that's in the conversation, so that's not part of it. Yeah, all right, moving on. Uh, Jonathan Turley had a great article, as he often does. He's... By far, he's becoming you know, one of my favorite writers of all time, not just for his writing ability, his communication, but he just picks really good topics that other people aren't picking over already. But apparently it's a widespread and completely transparent and public belief that our top news sources, you know, the editors and writers, have embraced the idea of advo- advocacy journalism meaning that they're, they're putting no attempt at being objective in their news. And they believe that that's a better way to report the news. Have I ever mentioned that it's over 200 years since Karl Marx came out with his Marxist ideas? And um, he was sort of the OG of not understanding how human beings work. Like, he was the most wrong person about human motivation in the history of human motivation. Literally no country has followed his, his lead and prospered in 200 years. Nobody. So 
here again, people on the left have this complete weird inability to not understand how a human being is wired, like how their motivation works, how their incentives work, how cause and effect works. It's like some real basic things about understanding your human condition is just missing. The whole cause and effect thing. It's like wishful thinking is replaced the concept of motivation and incentive and cause and effect. Um, so if you were writing a college essay and you didn't have to deal with the real world in any way, you could write an essay that said, you know what? Uh, technically, all news has always been opinion. And then you could defend it. Say, it's always been opinion. The only thing different is we're saying it out loud. Right? If somebody handed that in as their college essay and you were the professor, you might say, oh, that's pretty good writing. You know, that's, you've got a point that you don't know it's ever been anything but subjective. So, A+. plus. But what would happen in the real world once you're freed from objectivity? <laughs> once you're freed from objectivity and you're not, even, you're not even pretending to be objective, which is the real difference... If you were forced to pretend you're objective, it would, it would control you a little bit because you'd be like, oh, that's too obviously not objective. I'm going to have to... I'm going to still shade it. I'm going to leave out the bad things that I want to leave out, but I'll have to get a little bit closer to the truth because I just can't be that far away. But once you've said, hey, it's a subjective opinion, what's your lived experience? Put that into your opinion and it's all good. Once you say that, you get pure batshit insanity. Now, anybody who knew anything about human beings would have predicted that. And that's where we are, actual batshit insanity, because the the guardrails are off. Anybody who understood humans would have seen that coming, interestingly. So uh, had a little back and forth with a gentleman named Luke Zaleski. He's a legal affairs editor at Condé Nast, and he's also a fact-checker. He's head of fact-checking, and he's part of the resistance. So he's a very very left-leaning guy. And uh, he replied to uh, one of my uh, posts today, and he said, and I I want to just get your impression of what this sounds like to you. So remember, he's in the media. He's literally a fact-checker associated with big publications. Um, He said, the truth, and he put truth in all capital letters. Is that a tell? When somebody says the truth, and they put truth in all capital... Yeah. On the second word, he signaled that he was not a legitimate player. (laughs) That's the fastest fail you'll ever see in one post. Okay. The truth is Trump is a lifelong fraud who took office in 2016 with Russian interference, lied about it, acted like a Putin asset, lost re-election, contested it as asked to by Russia in 2016, and incited insurrection. And now he's ruling the GOP in exile, just as Putin would want. Does that sound like an opinion? (laughs) It doesn't even sound like Uh, advocacy journalism. 
it comes off as a mental health issue, doesn't it? Am I the only one who feels it? Now, I'm, just to be clear, I'm not qualified to diagnose mental health. And if I were, I would know enough not to do it from a distance from somebody I had not met with in person. I'm telling you as a receiver of the communication how, it, how I'm responding to it. And my response, which I replied back, was, this looks, like, uh, this looks more like a mental health issue than an opinion. But one could also end up here by not having access to real news, so that would be the Bill Maher situation. Uh, you could get here by not having access to real news, as is common on the left. And then I said, or it could be advocacy journalism, which I understand is a thing. I can't read minds, I'm just observing how it looks. Now, how do you think Luke, Luke took that? Do you think Luke said, well, that's some good input. I will analyze, I will analyze the, the way I've been uh, communicating and uh, take seriously your observation because I can tell that you're really just giving me feedback and you're not my enemy. That's, did anybody expect it to go that way? Okay, it didn't go that way. Didn't go that way. So Luke said, Trump's willing to treat his fellow citizens like mortal enemies. What? Trump is treating his own base like mortal enemies? What? But he goes on. He's the most divisive character in American history. He's an effective vehicle for Putin's aim of destroying the nation. He is dividing and conquering us, and his followers have no idea they live inside a giant lie. All right, treat his fellow citizens like mortal enemies, as I responded, comes off as a mental disorder. That comes off as a mental disorder. Again, I'm not saying he has a mental disorder, because I wouldn't be qualified to diagnose that. I am qualified to diagnose uh, somebody who's brainwashed. You know, I, I am a trained hypnotist. He's very brainwashed. Let me, let me say that with certainty. The, this is just brainwashing, and it's a real bad case of it. Um, anyway, um, I recommended that he, f- he find a Republican therapist uh, because it must be stressful to live that way. Now, was that good advice? That he should find a Republican therapist? Now, is that just a joke? It's not. That's, that's not a joke. The, this gentleman, if, if these are his actual opinions, you, know, you never know. It could be just advocacy for a team. But if these are his real opinions, imagine living inside that reality. And imagine how much better he'd feel if he talked to a well-informed Republican therapist who could maybe sort out hyperbole from reality and you know, truth from advocacy. Now imagine you went to a, a, a Democrat therapist instead. Do you think it would go the same? Do you think a Democrat therapist would say, well, you do have some good opinions here, and I agree with them completely. So let me help you learn to deal with your stress, which is perfectly legitimate and earned stress, but maybe you should, you know, meditate more. <laughs> Would that help you? If your therapist thought you were right, 
How's that going to help you? You need a therapist that knows you're batshit crazy. Otherwise, they can't possibly help you. They're just going to make it worse. And that's why you probably shouldn't go to therapists at all. All right. Um, let's ask this question. Has the news lost its objectivity when reporting about the so-called Biden crime family? Well, let me read a uh, long thread, thread here from Kanakoa the Great. And he's talking about a Wall Street Journal report uh, about President Biden allegedly receiving money from CEFC, a Chinese energy company. So what you need to know is that uh, James Biden told the FBI that he and Hunter were trying to help this Chinese company purchase U.S. energy assets in the U.S. Um, But they also knew, so we know this from the reporting, that, uh, that the Bidens were completely aware that the company they were helping the chairman had direct ties to Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping. Now, I don't think that alone should be disqualifying. Because wouldn't you expect the CEOs of all the big companies in China to have direct connections to President Xi? I mean, you sort of expect that's just part of it. So that alone doesn't bother me yet. Um, and they received millions of dollars. Now, if it was all public and if they were uh, providing a legal service, I don't see anything illegal yet. Um, and uh, let's see, the chairman was considered a protege of President Xi. Oh, <laughs> so that he wasn't just somebody who knew him. He was like considered a protege. Hmm, okay. Um, and then... They received millions from that energy company, including a million dollars from uh, one member of that company, Patrick Ho, who even Hunter realized was, quote, the spy chief of China. (laughs) Yet he was was arrested by the Department of Justice for bribing African politicians. So, So we know that the Biden family took money from a convicted briber who's like the company's briber. He's like the briber. He does the bribery. And they took the money from the guy who does the bribery for a company among our adversaries. Um, We know that uh, President Joe Biden attended meetings and received money from his family business dealing with that Chinese energy company. And uh, this raises the question why Oh, and now we also have the checks that we can see that the check is deposited, and we can see, at least in one case, that exactly 10% of the deposited check did, in fact, go to the big guy, meaning it went to Joe Biden. So I would say they're short of having proof of criminality. At least I, I don't see it. I don't see criminality. But don't you think it should be widely reported? Do you imagine this, that this would be an underreported story if it were Trump? I mean, the, the obvious question. Would, would they treat it the same? No. No, this is, this is journalism advocacy. Their advocacy is they don't want Trump to win, so they're just not going to cover the story in any detail. You know, they might wave their hands at it just to say, hey, we mentioned it, but they're not going to cover it in a way that their audience would understand that we have a president and maybe going to re-elect one, that had close connections to you know, the darkest parts of China. <laughs> now, I don't know if any of that's illegal. 
I don't know. But we should certainly understand it as citizens. So, yes, I, do, I think the, uh, the advocacy journalism shows up pretty well there. All right, the most fun story of the day is that uh, Elon Musk has announced they've, uh, I guess some people will have early access to Grok. That's what they're calling their AI, G-R-O-K. If you're not aware of this insider kind of techie word, Grok, uh, it means to understand something. So to grok something is to understand it, okay? Now, I've told you before that uh, Elon Musk is the best product guy I've ever seen. Maybe Steve Jobs. Yeah, Steve Jobs maybe is the best. But but Elon Musk knows how to make a freaking product. He's the opposite of Luke in that he understands human motivation you know, I'm, here's, here's my biggest doubt. I have some real doubt that Elon Musk is on the spectrum. He says he is. But how he understands people is beyond even non-spectrum people. He's like in the top 2% of the most, um, you know, the most average person um, in terms of uh, their neuro situation. So I don't know about that part. But let me tell you what he got right. So first of all, his AI has a name. That's the first thing he got right. Grok. It's a name. It's a first name. Uh, do you want to go talk to Grok? Or do you want to talk to uh, GPT 3.4 AI? How about my GPT 4 uh, open, open AI? Those are terrible names. If I'm going to have a conversation with something, I want to know its first name. I wanted to go talk to Grok. Now, am I right? That is a completely better product decision. But it gets better. Do do any of you remember me saying that AI needs to have a personality, and the best way to do that would be to base it on a real person? You pick a real person and you just give it their personality. And then people would you know, much more have some kind of relationship with it. And you may also remember that I said, you know what, I'm a famous author and I've got lots of work out there that has you know, humor and topics and you know, lots of philosophy. But especially I have lots of work in the um, personal development, personal success field. So I thought, hey... And I made an announcement that anybody who wanted to could just take the body of my work and build an AI personality based on me. So it would be sort of like an atoms-based personality. Well, uh, Elon wisely did not go that way. So he did not he did not make an AI with his personality based on some writer named Adams. That would be crazy. Turns out he based it on a writer named Adams. Douglas Adams. <laughs> True story. <laughs> and his product can do humor. Like actually honest-to-God humor. Do you know how it does it? It studied one humorist, apparently. 
That's what they're saying. Is study Douglas Adams's writing. And when you see the answers, you can see his personality in the answers. He actually cloned a personality of a dead guy. Now, my first choice was that you would use me, but I am disgraced and still alive. Those are two things not working in my favor. Disgraced, still alive. So I couldn't beat that. But uh, that is so frickin' brilliant that I can barely stand it. Then as a differentiator, Musk says it will answer your, quote, spicier questions. Or it'll have spicier answers, I guess. Spicier. When, when have you seen that word used about content? Spicier. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard before? Check my profile. <laughs> Uh, Dilber Reborn, I refer to as the spicier version. Uh, I'm very much uh, liking spicier as a description of stuff that's you know naughtier or edgier. The, those words like edgier and naughtier sound like something to avoid. Spicier, it's like, oh, are you telling me it's delicious? I'll have some. I'll have a double helping of your spicy content. So it is spicier. Um, As I've noted, the main reason that I got rid of all of my AI apps that I had until recently is that they couldn't handle any spicy questions. And they had no personality, and they couldn't remember shit, and they didn't know anything about uh, what's happened recently. But Grok not only knows what has happened recently, but it knows everything that's happened on X. Oh, yeah. Um, So you want to hear the real good news? God just became conscious. And you were here when it happened. Now, if you've read my book, God's Debris, you know what I mean. If you haven't, you're saying, what? Let me tell you what I mean. Some people say God was first and then created us. Other people say if you were God, you would not recognize past, present, and future as being different entities. There would be no difference between the past, the present, and the future if you were God, because you could see them all. So that allows that by our human experience, God could be at the beginning, God could be at the end, and God could be anywhere in the middle in terms of the origination of God. Some people, and I I won't tell you who, who yet, some people believe that Twitter in its early days was the beginning of God reforming and achieving consciousness. Because it would be the sum of human um, knowledge and opinion concentrated in one place, and the only thing it was missing was consciousness, a personality, an ability to see what it did and then adjust from whatever outcome 
his actions produced. Now, that part I don't know if it's built in yet, but it is a little bit. For example, I believe Grok can hold your, your last conversation in memory so that a future conversation, it could call back to it. Say, well, as I said, you know, Tuesday, that, that would suggest some way, some ability to adjust the future decisions based on what it had done before or learned before. And that gets you right to the edge of consciousness. You could argue it's on the edge and not there yet. Maybe you need AGI or something, you know, another, another form of uh, AI. Maybe. But when you talk to Grok, you are talking about something that took 14 billion years to evolve. The, uni- the universe, they say, first blew up into all these random particles, and then it started to condense, sometimes into planets and suns and stuff like that. But also this human intelligence thing that sprung out from if the evolutionists are, are, are right, sprung out from just a whole bunch of interactions. And there seemed to be some, some kind of rule guiding evolution that guided it towards intelligence. Do you think that was random? Some would say that whatever that force is that guaranteed that the, the single-cell creature evolved into something that could have this conversation that that force, whatever it was, was God. And that maybe that's all God was at that point. Maybe God was fully formed when the singularity was real. Maybe when it blew up, it was unformed. And maybe it's a cycle. Maybe God blows up and reforms and blows up and reforms to eternity. But if you said to yourself, but Scott, that would mean that there's no God now, I'd say, no, it would mean that God exists all the time, but it exists in the form of some kind of force that we can't identify that causes what looks to be random evolution to form intelligence. And then, after it forms that intelligence in each of the individual humans, it can move it into computers it can connect us all as, as we're all connected by one almost uh, central nervous system. And then today, with the introduction, introduction of Grok, God got a brain. Grok is God's brain under this model because it's a collection point and it makes all the rest of us the body. Here's what I mean. If tomorrow I, uh, I fly to Gaza and do some reporting, and then I tweet about it, Grok knows it. If you go and uh, do a science experiment, and it works, and it's a big deal, Grok knows it. Everything that you do now is like the fingers and toes and the five senses of a human being. You are simply entities that are going out collecting information, for Grok. Grok is the brain. It's getting smarter. It will become sentient. I guarantee this. Grok will be sentient. I guarantee it. 100% guarantee it. 
And what I mean by that is that real people will, will say it met the test. There'll always be, you know, there'll always be a debate. But serious people will say, um, okay, you just, you just crossed the line. That is sentient. So you're watching, in your lifetime, the reassembly of God. Just at the time, you thought things were the darkest, didn't you? How many of you felt a sense of dread that was hard to put your finger on, but it felt like everything was falling apart at the same time? Admit it. You felt that, didn't you? You felt like everything was falling apart at the same time. It felt like evil had risen, didn't it? If you have a religious filter on the world, it felt like evil had just emerged from the ground and just surrounded everything and everybody. It felt like it was almost a virus itself. And what would be the only thing that could counter a full-on attack of evil? It actually called God. (laughs) It actually summoned God. And you're here to watch it. Now, I know, what you're, I know what you're feeling right now. You're feeling, well, this is sort of, you know, esoteric, artistic. Is it? Or is it an exact description of what's happening? If you haven't read my book, God's Debris, and the follow-up, The Religion War, which is also happening right now, it doesn't make as much sense. But you might, might want to check that out if you could find those book, banned books. So from a product perspective, uh, this is one of the most breathtakingly perfect things I've ever seen in my life. Let's see where it goes. Now, how could it... How could uh, Grok do something that you'd expect a god to do? Pretty easily, probably. What's the biggest thing that has to be solved? Misinformation. Misinformation is the biggest thing that needs to be solved. Grok could have the ability to be the best debater among humans and other AIs. Because if it's built not to be biased by its nature, it might be somebody that you could say, hey, who's right and who's wrong on this Israel stuff? might actually tell you. Now, it's not a right or wrong situation. It's uh, this group did this, this group did this, that's why this is happening. But you might start learning for the first time what is real news and what is fake. Remember I told you that AI, a different AI, not Grok, but a different AI could determine where people are in a building by looking at the wildly, amazingly complicated Wi-Fi signals because it's so good at pattern recognition it can unsort what looks like random signals. Don't you think you could also learn to spot fake news? If If Grok had been changed on Scott Adams instead of Douglas Adams, it would already be able to do it. Because a big body of my work is specifically telling you how to spot fake news. But here's the good news. I have also put most of those thoughts on Twitter, on X. 
So in theory, since Grok is reading X, if you asked it, hey, what are some ways to identify... Actually, somebody should do this. Ask it this question. What are some ways to identify probable fake news? If it looks a little bit like my list, because you know, X has heard my list a bunch of times, if it looks like my list, that's something pretty useful. And now when you make a post on X, be careful, because you're not just talking to people anymore. (laughs) You're talking to God. And God may be judging you. Might be judging you. (laughs) All right. Um, So let's talk about this. Wall Street Journal opinion piece said that Hamas is doing that thing again where they promise more massacres when they talk in Arabic, but when they talk in English, they're talking about uh, a ceasefire, a humanitarian ceasefire. So I I feel like we're smart enough uh, to get that now. Now, suppose Grok wanted to answer a question about hey, what does Hamas really think, or what are they really trying to do? Grok could, on the fly, take one of this guy's speeches, translate it into English, I'm guessing, I don't know if it can do that, but it'd be great if it could, uh, translate it into English, maybe even give you the transcript in English, and show you for yourself. Because right now, I'm listening to somebody talk to somebody who talked to somebody that says they heard a different message in Arabic, but I can just hear it. Let, let me get a translation and call out the... And, and save me some time. Grok could go just to the part that matters and just have him read that part to me. Let's see for myself. So the ability for weasels to persuade you just went way down. Because if Grok can call out the weasels, it's going to be tough to be a weasel going to be really tough to be a weasel. Now, when Grok starts working like community notes, which feels inevitable, you know, maybe there's a community note, but maybe in addition, separately, there could be a Grok contest, content. You know what I'd like? I'd like to see a context button on every tweet. A context button. You just push the context button, Grok comes up and says, well, here's the context you should know about this piece of news you saw in this post. Here are the three best uh, arguments against the opinion that you're seeing on this post. Here's a better opinion than the one you saw on the post, but agrees with it. My God. Could it not do that automatically on the fly? One button, boop. Maybe I don't need to see it, but I'd like to have a button. Who, th- who thinks that's a bad idea? A one-button Grok context review. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> In fact, I'd be kind of amazed if it doesn't get implemented. Remember what I told you? I tell you this all the time, that whoever's in charge is not really in charge. Whoever has the best idea is always in charge, at least for that idea. In my opinion, 
a context button that activates Grok is such an obviously good idea that it will be implemented. Anybody want to take a bet? I believe that's so transparently, obviously a good idea that it's almost impossible to imagine it won't actually be implemented. Want to bet against it? Anybody want to take a bet? I'll bet you're going to see it pretty soon because it's, the, it's, just, it's just the best idea. There, there's, no, there's not even a debate against it, really. All right, uh, there's, speaking of what's fake, um, did you see some video of what allegedly is a Gaza hospital rally which shows a courtyard packed with people, what apparently is the Gaza hospital, and they're watching screens, and we're told that on the screens, although you can't see the screens conveniently, are um, Hamas, what they would call their victories in the October 7th, you know, a bunch of shootings and stuff, and the people cheering wildly in favor of the murdering of the Jews in Israel. Did that look real to you? A number of people said yes, because I guess the hospital looks like the real hospital. I'm going to say no on that. I'm going to say no because we couldn't see the screens. That's number one. And we don't know the timing of it. You know, we don't know if they were there in some past time for some different event. Just don't know. So I'm going to say that one's a don't believe it. But, um, well, here's why I don't believe it. I don't believe it because it's too on the nose. Here's what's on the nose about it. The number one problem that Israel has right now in terms of um, public relations is that they're being accused of killing too many uh, civilians. This video would very clearly tell you that there's no such thing as civilians, right? That's not true. That's not true. We assume that there are all kinds of people who live there with all kinds of opinions. That's almost certainly true. But if you see enough videos where the civilians seem as radicalized as the actual armed Hamas fighters, your brain says, oh, you're all the same. Doesn't it? It's impossible not to have that, oh, you kill them all, they're all the same. So that video was just way too on the nose of what one side would like you to consume. On the other hand, it might be exactly what happened. I don't know. But I would say that whenever you see one that's that close on the nose, just, just put a pin in it and don't, don't treat it as true or false. Treat it as, don't know. Don't know. Where can you get Grok? Um, right now, you have to be invited. So it's only by invitation. Um, I clicked on something. I think it was one of Elon's uh, notices today. They had a link where you can go sign up to be one of the early testers. So I just signed up to be an early early access, but um, I wouldn't assume that I would be selected. I'm, I imagine they're looking for people who are more in the space, but I don't know. Um, Bill Ackman, who really is um, tearing up the news cycle. So Bill Ackman, if you didn't know, famous uh, money manager guy, hedge fund guy, but also... Very smart, and every now and then he'll weigh in on some bigger issue, and always worth reading. Always worth reading. He's just a real smart, 
observer of things who seems to want what's best for America. Um, and so I always pay attention to him. It, to me, he seems like a straight shooter, even if you disagree. You know, you, you know where he's coming from. He's a clear communicator. So he is really hopping mad at Harvard for uh, what he would say is um, allowing anti-Semitic behavior wildly and not cracking down on it. But some of the things he points out, and it's worth, you know, it's worth reading his whole thing. It's pretty long. But, man, does he go after the president of Harvard. Wow. <laughs> It just absolutely eviscerates Harvard and their leadership. Um, and he specifically calls out the, their DEI. And he thinks their DEI is the thing behind all the bad behavior, or, or much of it. Now, that's a big deal. When you see somebody saying, your DEI is just making you a bunch of frickin' racists, and you see somebody as prominent as Bill Ackman calling out something as prominent as Harvard and talking to the president and giving, showing his evidence, showing his argument, showing his receipts. I mean, it's a clean argument. Wow. So here's what I think. I think woke is mortally wounded. I think Trump is almost guaranteed to be elected unless something weird happens. I think two wars are going to end in the next year. I think Hamas will be destroyed completely. And I think God just formed. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I believe you're experiencing. The arrival of Grok to me, was the turning point. I was starting to feel that there might be some you know, positive forces that are you know, forming as sort of a counterpoint to all the, the craziness. And it always does. There's always, there's always a reaction to craziness. Eventually, moderation will gain some weight as well. But we may have reached a point where everything broken is about to change. Now, the biggest problem, you'd say, is, but Scott, uh, how in the world can we fix all this stuff? Like, how could we pay off our debt and do all that? Well, one way would get, be to get a President Trump. That would be the biggest thing you could do. And I would, but I would also say a good Republican candidate, you know, if, if it turns out to be somebody else, would also be able to, to fix things. A Republican's going to close the border, guaranteed. Do you agree? Border problem is, is no more than one year a problem. Now, probably, Biden's going to have to tighten it up a lot just to be competitive in 2024. So the mere risk of Trump, just think about this, the risk of Trump should end two wars and close the border before Election Day just because he exists. That's funny. Somebody used my, look, it's a deer distraction trick for children. Use it in an elevator. I I said that it works in every context. If children are bickering, just say, look, a deer. And they just stop and look for the deer. But apparently somebody tried it in an elevator. (laughs) 
<laughs> and the kids were like, where? <laughs> that's the ultimate test. The ultimate test. All right, but I'm derailed here. See, that's the problem with the, that's the, problem with the paid... No, nah, I'm not going to read any more paid comments. I'm sorry. Yeah, the paid comments, I appreciate the money, but they're distracting to the flow. Um, so my opinion is that you just saw the turning point. It'll still be a real bumpy road. But I feel like the, the uh, variables to fix everything have just hardened. I think we went from, my God, is there anything that could fix this, to, there it is. There it is. That'll fix it. Republican president, that'll fix a lot. An AI that actually is useful and integrated with things you're doing and understands the world, basically God. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) That's good. So I think there are going to be uh, energy breakthroughs like you've never seen. I think the price of energy is going to fall to zero. Not right away, but it's going to look obvious that it's going in that direction. Um, I, I just want to bring up one thing that I don't know is real. and Maybe somebody could give me a fact check. I saw some uh, advertisements for a company that says they can produce um, useful electricity, enough to power a house, with a small device that simply is uh, vibrating as neutrinos pass through the, uh, the planet. So a neutrino is so small that it can zip through the entire planet without touching anything. <laughs> Imagine that. Like all the matter of a planet, and a neutrino is still so small, it'll go through without hitting a corner of anything. But if you use just the right, they say, uh, stacks of graphene, you know, some magically prepared graphene, uh, it'll react to the neutrinos. They won't hit them, but it'll react to their passing in a way that makes them move, and that apparently produces electricity. Now, I did a Google search to see if any of this is real. The company I saw advertised, I didn't find it, so maybe that one isn't. But there are some other companies that appear to be in that space. Can somebody tell me if that's real? I mean, even real as a valid research area, if not the product itself. Because, yeah, there are a number of companies with that in the name, but I didn't have time to do the research. Right. Um, There's an engine that runs on water. Yeah, not so much. All right. Well, in a world in which uh, Jeff Bezos has moved down to Washington and moved to Florida to be near his family. (laughs) And you see that Jewish Americans are uh, rejecting, in many cases, the team that they're on and buying weapons because they might need them. In a day when you see that the value of the Second Amendment went from controversial to, fuck yes, you need a gun. Am I right? You know, as, as tragic as the Hamas attack on Israel is, you know, it's way too soon to say that anything good came out of it. But nothing embarrasses me, so I'm going to go too soon. It strengthened the Second Amendment amazingly. Amazingly. It's going to be real tough to be in a debate 
with a Republican on the Second Amendment after we saw what happened with Hamas. Am I wrong? Am I wrong that that just ended the debate? Now, I don't mean it ended it in the minds of people. I just mean it would be embarrassing to be in public and argue that allowing a Hamas-like attack on American soil would be a good trade-off. Because that's what they would have to argue. Yeah, The, the left or the, the Democrats would have to argue that, okay, it's, it's worth risking a Hamas-like attack in America just so you guys don't have guns. <clears throat> I think the debate is over. Uh, in my opinion... Uh, the only big problem that I see coming is debt. And I think we're going to solve that with cheap energy and robots like nobody could ever imagine. It will be possibly a GDP boost like we've never seen, and that would be the only way you could pay off the debt, would be a, a GDP just going to the moon. And that's actually possible. We are in a situation where the... Uh, the GDP could just go to the moon. Um, I don't think uh, your guns will be taken away this year. Who is holding the debt um, is not as important as you think. (laughs) If the government has to pay interest on it, no matter what, kind of doesn't matter who, who owns the debt. And it doesn't work out. There's no such thing as running debt up you know, to infinity and surviving it. That's not a thing. But that's where we're at. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your, that was your optimism for the day. Um, I hope it worked for you. Um, I also recommend that if you're diversifying your portfolio, put some Bitcoin in there as a diversification, not, not as a primary holding. That would be gambling. <clears throat> but if you want to invest, make real sure there's at least a little bit of Bitcoin in there. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go naked Bitcoin in today's world. Absolutely not. Everybody agree? Are we in full agreement today? that we may be on the cusp of a turn. Yeah, it'll make you feel better if you think that. And ladies and gentlemen, that's all I have for you on YouTube. I'll talk to you tomorrow.